It's nice to be in Spokane, Washington. Pastors already acknowledged that you've been standing a long time today. Let me finish that little book. You may be sitting a long time today, too. I didn't garner my reputation by preaching short sermons. I've already decided that this is one of my favorite buildings that I've ever preached in because I can't find a clock anywhere. Thank you. However, down south, they're saying, forget the clock. What Odom preaches, have your calendar with you. I give honor today to Pastor and Sister Mayo. Let's make our pastor and his wife welcome. Let's give honor to whom honor is due. Thank you for the welcome. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for the fellowship time that I had with both of you, my wife and I, together. Thank you for the accommodations at the hotel. Thank you, Brother Chris, for your welcome and taking care of us. Thank you, Pastor Mayo, for this invitation. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for the snow. Yeah. I know you'll love me more when I tell you this because when we left South Mississippi, it was 76 degrees and spring is everywhere. Uh-oh, I just made some enemies that spoke in. We love the snow, and uh, it's nice to be here. Pastor Mayo, I give honor to you today for truly being one of the great and exceptional preachers in Pentecost. I had the privilege last summer to share the pulpit with him at camp meeting in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I did the day services, he did the nights, and he blessed me tremendously. And I'm not just saying that I mean that. But then we came right back to International Summit in September, and Brother Mayo was one of the speakers at Summit. And I told him when he finished that he fed me and blessed me. And I want to be one to tell this church that you have as pastor truly one of the great and anointed preachers of Pentecost. Hold on to him. Take care of him. And then I give honor to Sister Mayo. I... I mentioned to the two of them last night that I made notes on them as I was traveling out. And just to let you know that that's an accurate statement because here's my note page. I wrote down about Sister Mayo. Number one, she's a Christian lady. Number two, she is just simply a lady. But number three, she's a classy lady. I love you, Sister Mayo. And she is serving as the chair for the latest ministry in the worldwide Pentecostal fellowship. And I give honor to the lady of the church. Matthew chapter 11. I'd like to echo 
the welcome from the pastor, and I do this everywhere I go. As the pulpit guest, I want to welcome visitors that attend when I'm preaching. I'm not sure, but if there's some here today that I'll be the very first apostolic preacher that you will hear preach, don't judge the rest of them by me. But if you'll listen to me, perhaps the Lord will allow me to reach into your heart and show you that there's a great deal more available for you in Christ Jesus than what you have. Thank you, Pastor. I dedicate my preaching to my Lord, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John, and that's John the Baptist, had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Let me give you a quick Bible study. Because John the Baptist crossed the no trespassing sign when he preached against the social life of Herod, it landed him in prison. But when he heard of the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and verse 3 said, And said unto him, Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. Watch the list of the evidence. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And kind of, kind of like a footnote and an addendum to the evidence, Jesus quickly added in verse 6, and this was a personal note to John, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Calling your attention to verse 3, the question that John posed to Jesus through two of his disciples, art thou he? That should come, or do we look for another? I have the advantage on John. John was on death row. He was soon to be executed. I think we hammered this man much too unfairly and charging him of losing faith. But John just simply wanted to be sure that he had it all right, knowing he was facing the ultimatum of the death sentence from Herod. I have the advantage because I can look back and I can see the complete New Testament. John didn't have it. So in his memory, I want to say, John, I'm not taking advantage of the fact that I can look back and see more than you could see. But I want to answer your question, John, in a way that Jesus did not answer it. 
Jesus said, just give John the evidence. But my response is this. Art thou he that should come or should look for another? My sermon today is, there will never be another. Put your Bibles down. And before you're seated, lift your hands and worship the Lord. may be seated. Practically everything that we know about John the Baptist in the New Testament, most of it is recorded by the evangelist Matthew. Chapter 1, we learn of the prophecy through an angel that his aged parents would have him as a child and that he would be God's messenger. This would be in fulfillment of prophets in the Old Testament, namely Isaiah and Malachi. Both these great prophets uttered one single prophecy of peace concerning John the Baptist. It was fulfilled when John the Baptist was born, but we know nothing else about John the Baptist's life until approximately 30 years later. And we find that information in Matthew chapter 3. And the Bible gives us a tidbit of information of his ministry. Scholars are divided on how long his earthly ministry lasted. Some tend to think it was three months or less. Others are a bit more liberal with their time estimation. And some say a maximum of six months. But in that sixth month of preaching, in the wilderness of Judea, we find that all of Jerusalem went out to hear this man preach in the wilderness. Not only all of Jerusalem, but we learned that Judea, the whole countryside, went to hear this evangelist preached. Not only Jerusalem and Judea, but professional in Korea, Roman soldiers went to hear this evangelist preach. After those kinds were going out and hearing John preach, why? Mr. Religion had to go, and that is scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. His sermon never wavered. His sermon never changed. But he preached the same redundantly. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. John added to that and said words akin to this. I truly baptize you with water unto repentance, but there cometh one after me who is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Talking about in your face preaching. Oh, John the Baptist was in your face, especially when the Sadducees and the Pharisees was in the audience. He picked them out and he said, hey, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you bunch of vipers? Preach, oh, how he preached. Practically all of his baptismal ceremonies was held at a place called Bethabara, which is a crook in the river of Jordan in the wilderness of Judea. We have no numbers and statistics of how many John converted to repentance. We have no numbers. We have no statistics how many were baptized unto repentance. 
But I can safely tell you that whether his ministry lasted 90 days or six months, it was the single most successful evangelistic ministry that was ever held. I'm not comparing two evangelists, but in the Old Testament I find that Noah preached righteousness for 120 years. And all he had to show statistically for it was his family of eight. John the Baptist preaching in the wild of Judea was like a magnet. He drew audiences to him, warned them to repent because the wrath of God was soon to come. Without doubt, his single most notable candidate was baptized by John at Bethabara in the river of Jordan. And John even introduces him to us in Matthew chapter 3. For when this candidate came down for the baptismal service, John introduced him by saying, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Ultimately, when the baptismal service of this candidate was over, there was a phenomenal event that took place. Voice from heaven that echoed and thundered said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit, like as of a dove, settled upon him. People thought it was a vision or some meteorological phenomenon, but it was heaven's endorsement that Jesus Christ was about to begin the greatest ministry the world had ever known. That was the only time that I know that these two men, who, by the way, were biological cousins, that's the only time I know that they ever spoke to each other. They quickly parted their ways. Jesus was led by the wilderness into the Spirit. There he fasted 40 days and nights. Afterward, he was tempted of the devil, and we know well how Jesus won those three separate theological victories over the devil and the Mount of Temptation. But John soon went to Herod's prison, and after the most successful evangelistic ministry the world had ever known, after baptizing more candidates than all other preachers and prophets at that time and perhaps since combined. John is now in prison. He has been sentenced to capital punishment. The death warrant is on him just because he preached against sin in the, in, in the figure of adultery. And ultimately, John was going to be facing the death sentence. We have no idea how long it was before John's execution date. But just to be sure that the one that he baptized, just to be sure that the one that he named as the Lamb of God, just to be sure that the one that he said that was going to take away the sin of the world, John living out his last days, perhaps living out his last hours, and obviously soon to live out his last minutes. 
He just wanted to be sure. Frankly, I take the desk today, and I don't critique John the baptizer, but I think it might do a lot of us veteran Pentecostals well to take an inventory and be sure that we've got everything right with God. Clap your hands, sister. Let the church join her and clap your hands to Jesus. So it appears to me in the closing days or perhaps hours of his life, John is facing execution. Seemed like he's wavering. Seemed like he's a bit hesitant. Seemed like he's a bit undecided. He needed self-assurance and confirmation. And the question was asked, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? You tell me why Jesus just did not simply say, absolutely, go back and tell John I'm the one. But Jesus chose to skirt the question just a bit and not give a direct answer. But he said, you go back and tell my cousin. That's Odomese of the King James Version. You go back and tell John that I said that the blind eyes are open. While Jesus didn't say it like this, I want to say it a little bit clearer where Spokane can hear it. Jesus could have said, go back and tell John that there's a blind bum on the streets of Jericho that's going to cause such, oh, that was Bartimaeus. Tell John that a blind bum from Jericho has received his sight. And it doesn't matter to the Mississippi preacher today how long you've lived the low life and how deep in sin that you have gone. If you make up your mind to take the characteristics of blind Bartimaeus, Jesus will stop this service to perform a miracle for you. I feel a miracle in the house. It's not nearly unanimous decision by looking at the audience, but I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. It's not nearly unanimous decision in the house, but I feel an apostolic revival in the house. Go tell John that the blind receive their sight. Secondly, go tell John that the lame walk. And even though Jesus didn't say it like this, I would add, go and tell John that I'm going to go to a house in Capernaum and there's going to be four men that's going to tear the tiling and the roof off of the house and they're going to let a paraplegic down that is crippled with paralysis. Tell John that paralysis victim is going to be forgiven of his sins and is going to take up his bed and walk. But also tell John, I'm going to Bethesda and I'm going to tell a second paraplegic, take up thy bed and walk. Tell John the deaf ears are unstopped 
and they're now hearing. Tell John that I'm going to heal lepers. I'm glad to tell you there's no disease that Jesus Christ cannot heal. But I must tell you quickly that the primary purpose of Jesus coming is not to heal your sick body, but his primary purpose of coming was to save you from your sins. Did you know that blind Bartimaeus is the only Bible character that his name is given that received one of the phenomenal miracles of Jesus Christ? The only one whose name is mentioned is Bartimaeus, and I've often wondered why. The woman that had the issue of blood, she slipped up behind Jesus, the paraplegic of Bethesda. Jesus had to go to him, resurrecting the widow's son of Nain. Jesus had to stop the funeral procession. But when Jesus evangelized in Jericho, it was blind Bartimaeus that disrupted stereotype religion of its day. And this was rubbing it against the grain. This was going against conventional wisdom of the religion of the day. Thank you, Pastor, for making a very thorough uh, explanation why we worship the way that we do. I would appeal to somebody here today, it's not out of order for the spirit of Bartimaeus to come to Spokane. I have long preached that you're going to be criticized if you don't worship. Let's give the devil something to criticize us about. Let's worship him in spirit. He was born from a borrowed womb. He preached from a borrowed boat. He rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. <laughs> he was buried in a borrowed tomb. That's my lead in to tell you that in the United States there are 600 Christian colleges 300 of them are Catholic. 100 of them are Baptist and Methodist. Near 100 are Presbyterians, and then the others are scattered on the landscape as being seminaries to teach young men how to be theologians. Most religious institutions in the United States, they fractionalize Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you in his body, He's the fullness of the Godhead, and he's not a fraction of the Godhead. Most of these institutions condense Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you, you can't condense him. He's omnipresent. He's universal. He's everywhere, and I'm glad to tell you he's at Cornerstone Church in Spokane, Washington. Most of these institutions minimalize Jesus Christ now with just being a good man or at the most or prophetic voice of his day. Oh, my. 
I just felt that long-winded button turn on in me. I can't memorize him because he's the first and he's the last. That which is and which was, the Alpha, the Omega. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. In these some 600 universities or religious institutions in the United States, the graduates that are receiving their theological degree, 43% don't even believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. 77% of all graduate seminarians do not even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 76% of all graduate seminarians do not believe that, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. 33% still don't even believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the tomb. And here we are, Spokane, Washington, and you're having a collision with an old-fashioned Pentecostal preacher that I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe the grave cannot hold him. All right, now, if you're going to stand up and do that, do it first class if you're doing it for Jesus. Don't let her run by herself. Hallelujah. Who's that gentleman walking down the middle aisle that just ran in the bathroom? Look, look yeah, wave your hand at me if you would. I, I clocked you. You didn't set an Olympic record by running around the church. But you made it, buddy. You made it. And that being... That being my lead in, I'm coming after some of you that have said, you ain't going to catch me doing that at this church. I hadn't finished this sermon yet either. <laughs> I haven't told you everything there's to tell about Jesus yet either. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, brother. All right, those that want to stand, you can stand. Those that want to be seated, you can be seated. But I'll make an announcement to those of you that stand. It's not going to make my sermon any shorter. I give you Jesus. There will never be another. I give you Jesus. There's none like him. He's deity in the heavens. He's deity in the earth. There'll never be another. He's deity in the atmosphere, and he's deity in the stratosphere. There'll never be another. He was deity when he was delivered from the womb of Mary, and he was deity when he walked out of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. There'll never be another. 
He was deity in the manger. He was deity on the cross. He was deity at Bethlehem. He was deity at Bethany. He was deity in Jerusalem. He was deity in Judea. He was deity in the matter of temptation. He was deity on the matter of transfiguration. He was deity on the Mount of Olives. He was deity on Mount Calvary. He was deity at the pool of Bethesda. He was deity at the pool of Siloam. He was deity at the river of Jordan. He was deity at the Sea of Galilee. He was deity at the tomb of Gadara. He was deity at the tomb of Lazarus. There'll never be another. Hallelujah. Watch out, cancer. Here comes faith. Watch out, heart disease. Here comes faith. Watch out, diabetes. Here comes faith. I'll save the best for last. Watch out, devil. Here comes the church. There'll never be another. So, in honor to the 600-plus religious institutions that minimalize Jesus, that fractionalize Jesus, I submit to you to consider my personal thoughts. I got so inspired. I was preaching way up in North Dakota a few months ago, and I began to write a few things, and it felt good when I wrote it felt better when I read it, and it felt a whole lot better when I preached it. So I'm going to let you be a little part of my feel good, all right? If Jesus Christ would come to the earth and start his own college or university, there's only one name, J-N-U, Jesus Name University. He would be the president. He would be the chancellor. He will be the provost. He will be the dean of admissions. He will be the principal professor in every department of the school. He will be the professor of mathematics because here goes my southernese. Because there ain't no problem that he can't solve. He will be the language professor because he is a word that is fitly spoken like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. He will be the professor of meteorology because there ain't no storm that he can't come. 
He will be the professor of zoology because he's the lamb for sinners slain and he is the scapegoat for the sinners. He will be the professor of geology because he's the rock of ages, because he's the foundation stone. And look behind me, and he's the chief cornerstone. He will be the professor of life because in him there is no life. Watch out, evolutionist. I've got you in my preaching crosshairs. Don't tell me we evolved from a slimy one-cell amoeba. We're here today because we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made in his likeness and in his image. Brother and sister Spokane, I warn you, when I start preaching and shouting at my own preaching, you know I think I'm doing pretty good. And I feel like I can shout a little while now because he called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. He took all of my sins away and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. You can sit there bound if you want to, but I've got a right to clap my hands. I've got a right to lift my hands. I've got a right to leap for joy. Yes, I continue. He will be the professor of the school of chemistry because he's the very substance, hallelujah, of everything that is composed. He will be the professor of astronomy because he's still the bright and morning star. In the school of medicine, he will be the professor of cardiology. He, this is a lead in. Just hold on. Don't rush me, folks. I traveled all day yesterday to get here. He will be the professor of oncology. Don't rush me, folks. I'm going to pick that up again in just a minute. He will be the professor of dermatology and the professor of orthopedics. He will be the professor of pediatrics. He will be the professor of endocrinology. Because as the professor and the chief ophthalmologist, he can do what the ophthalmologist cannot do. He can open the blinded eyes. He can do what the audiologist cannot do. He can unstop the deaf ears. He can do what the dermatologist cannot do. He can cleanse the leper. He can do what nephrologists cannot do. He can heal failing kidneys. I felt something go out of me when I said that. He can heal failing kidneys. I'm not in a guessing game, but I feel the touch of the Spirit on me right now. If you're dealing with a kidney disease, I speak to you right now that Christ Jesus is the chief nephrologist. He will be the chief cardiologist. How many is here today, Brother Pastor? I don't either, so let me guess. More than a few. How's that? 
And surely there's somebody here today that's got some form of a heart condition. I do. I had a heart attack three years ago. I'm, I've got all the stuff going on in me. But I resolve that Jesus Christ is the one that's in charge of my life. And if the doctor has given you his medical verdict and sentence and said, go home and get your business in order, you're not going to get better, I come as a faithful Pentecostal preacher to say, don't you give up yet. Jesus is the chief cardiologist. I'm finding across my travels in the United States, I'm dealing in many churches the spirit of discouragement, the spirit of distress, and here's the big one. There's an attack against the apostolic church, including the pulpit or the preacher, known as the spirit of depression. 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 In the name of Jesus Christ, I, as an ordained and authorized preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the depression that's in your life. It's not the will of God that you stay up day and night. It's not the will of God that you're on the nervous edge every day of your life. I speak to you right now. I send your depression right back to hell where it came from. He has come that you might have joy. He has come that you might have peace. Do that some more, Pastor. He felt it too. I send your depression right back to hell where he came from. For he who the Son hath set free is free. Don't let her jump by herself. When you get through, I'll keep preaching. <laughs> God love her. What she's trying to say, somebody help me. Somebody worship with me. <laughs> okay, I'll try it this way. You keep dancing, I'll keep preaching, okay? I understand the rules of life. I understand the cycle of life. If you would go ahead and try to find a way to agree with what I'm saying, we live our 70 plus years if we're blessed and we know that ultimately we have an appointment with the mortician. I understand that. But I look beyond the mortician. I've got an appointment with the man that said, I am the resurrection. <laughs> and I am the life. You know, Pastor, when I preach at some churches and I feel good like I feel at this church, at my age I can say things and usually get away with it a little bit. I'm near 75 years old. I've preached over 16,000 times.
And why not, if I feel it, I'll just invite myself back to Spokane, California, or Washington, because I like what I feel in Spokane, Washington. There's a revival in this house. There's a harvest in this house. Spokane, get ready. Here comes Cornerstone. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Don't let that pretty little pastor's wife shout by herself. My Lord. <laughs> I forgot to tell you what I'm supposed to tell you. There'll never be another. I have not come to criticize other persuasions, but Hinduism will not do for you what Jesus Christ can do for you. I felt it tightened down just a bit. I have not come to criticize other persuasions, but Islam will not do for you what Jesus Christ will do for you. I felt it get a little bit tighter, so I tried again. If there's something with a different persuasion, being a member of your local favorite church will not make it for you, friend. But if you'll take a trip to Calvary and be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, I wish I could describe him. And try though I may, <laughs> he's indescribable. I wish I could define him. And try though I may, I can't define him. I wish it was within my realm of vocabulary to explain him. But try though I may. I can't explain him. When you have Jesus, you can't get him out of your mind. And you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him. And you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. But the Pharisees couldn't stop him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pilate could find no fault in him. Death could not handle him. The grave could not hold him. There'll never be another. The Bible supremely describes him. The Bible sublimely recognizes him. The Bible exquisitely expresses him, but there'll never be another. He's totally inexhaustive. He's vastly infinite. He's wholly immeasurable. He's completely. <laughs> what y'all getting so quiet for? You're not trying to take a nap on me, are you? You know, I know that I've got to hold on to, to the best of my southern mannerisms. 
But man, I feel fire. Shut up in my bones. The queen of the south came and visited the wise one, Solomon. And after observing all of his train, all of his court, all of his wealth, and all of his stuff, she finally concluded the half has never been told about Solomon. But once I heard Jesus say that there's a greater than Solomon that is here, you can't define him. There'll never be another. You can't explain him. There'll never be another. I recognize that even without a clock, I've already preached near an hour. I am, but the problem is I go to the next church and do it all over again. And if you come there, we charge an admission. And the church gets the money. Jesus Christ, the magnificent miracle of the ages. Jesus Christ. <laughs> The superlative phenomenon of God. Jesus Christ. The fascination of all creation. I don't know who my elder brother is right here that's waving his head like this at me, but you've been beating with the Holy Ghost on you for about the last 30 minutes. So let's go ahead and get this settled right now. Would you just stand up, sir, and just clap your hands to the Lord. Let's get it over with. I've been watching him for the, uh-oh, here we go. Thank you, brother. I'm tempted to give you part of the offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There'll never be another. I will start that one again. You're seated, please. He's the magnificent miracle of the ages. He is the superlative phenomenon of God. He's the fascination of all creation. He's the majesty of the universe. He's the pearl from paradise. He's the gem from glory. 
He's the splendor of heaven. He's the masterpiece of genius. He's the priceless work of art. He's the wise brilliance of vast intellectualism. He has often been mimicked, but he's never been matched. He's often been challenged, but he's never been conquered. He's often been attacked, but he's never been defeated. He's often been opposed, but he's never been overpowered. Anti-spiritual politicians cannot impeach him. And he's not going to resign his throne and his crown. And the last time I checked Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He's no less today than what he was then. For he is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you have um, at this church close of sermon music? Yeah, okay. So whoever the close of sermon musicians are, would you come? God bless them. God bless them. You see the reason I'm calling them up, sister? Listen to this. When I do this, they think I'm about to quit, but I'm not. Thank you. I'm doing my best. Would you repeat this after me? There, that's not nearly 30%. Would you repeat this after me? There, will, never be another. I've got it on page 43. I can prove it. Moses said there's none like him. Samuel said there's none like him. Job said there's none like him. David said there's none like him. Isaiah said there's none like him. Jeremiah said there's none like him. Even God Almighty said in Isaiah chapter 46, To whom will you liken me that we might be equal? Compare me to Dagon. Compare me to Moloch. Compare me to Belbereth. Compare me. Compare me to all idols. Compare me to all images. Compare me to all man-made deities. I am He. I am He. I am the first. There's none like me. I am the last. There's none like me. He speaks to Spokane, Washington. I'm the healer of your cancer. I'm the healer of your coronary. I'm the healer of your afflictions. 